This is Deep Natter. In this episode, Sean and I are talking about how some of the evolutions in technology will impact the way we make art, and in some cases, even blur the line of creativity between humans and machines. We also trade links to some of the things each of us has found interesting over the past week or so. Here we go. Hello. Does it work? First time out of the gate, does it work? It does, I think, actually. Oh my God, it's a birthday miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't it? Oh, maybe we like you after all, Skype. Maybe. Well, let's not get no, hasty. Nah. Let's not get hasty. Not even close. Not even close. Yeah, how are you? I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm uh, I'm photographing. I've, I've been painting for the last couple of days, and I'm finally trying to, to photograph the um, the Grid Variations version 2, which mm. I, I thought I had photographed them all, but I guess... I guess I haven't. So um, I'm trying to get the lighting. You know, there are certain colors uh, that just, they don't translate well. And I don't know if it's a digital sensor yeah. thing, but I'm having a hell of a time getting that, that turquoise kind of blue-green accurate. Mm. Even doing custom white balance. Have you got a color checker passport? No, I don't. And maybe I should invest in one since I'm going to be photographing artwork more regularly moving forward. I reckon if that kind of accuracy is important to you, then it's really the best option is just to shoot the color checker passport and run the software in Lightroom or Capture One or whatever you're using. Yeah. Then you then it's not just about getting the white balance right. It's obviously every sensor deals with individual colors differently as well. Right. So it needs to correct for it's not just warmer, cooler or like green to magenta tint. It's individual colors and how it's dealing with those as well. Yeah, um, might be worth investing in one of those. Not I, I think it is. They're not expensive. No. Yeah. Did you uh, yeah. did you happen to listen to that that track that I sent you? Yeah, it was great. I really liked okay. it. Okay. Do you know who that is? No. Well, I mean, I, I saw the band there, but I don't know it. Them. It's uh, uh, Joe Keir- uh, Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. Stop That's his it. band. <laughs> That's his band. Steve's cool in real life too. <laughs> he is. That's they're, really cool. They're doing kind of a Devo thing where like they're all they're all like these personas, they all dress up in like, you know, wigs and outfits and and, and they're just oh, they've been cool. doing it for I think since 2017 or 18, but they're playing oh. Lollapalooza this year as Joe. Wow. That's so cool. That's really cool. They they're really good. I, I, like I think so too. It's funny I like that it. It's got a slight '80s vibe to it too. Yeah, yeah. It's got like that '80s hook. I, I, I really Cindy. like it. I think they're good. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Stranger Things is leached into his way of doing stuff. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go look right. up them playing live now. That's quite cool. It's funny, right? Yeah. Yeah. He he was on. What was he on? Fallon, I think. Uh, and I saw a ah. clip of him, and he was talking about this band. And I I guess they have kind of a, a following in and around Chicago because people are singing. You can hear when they play live clips on YouTube, people are singing along with them and, and, you know, commenting between songs. So they've got this, there is this scene around his band or there seems to be anyway. That's so cool. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. You, you got me into this week and I'd seen it before, but I didn't really spend a lot of time with it. Uh, Justin Hawkins writes again. Oh my gosh. YouTube channel. He is hysterical. How cool is that stuff? It's really cool. Yeah. If you're not watching this, go check out Justin Hawkins yeah. Rides Again. Justin Hawkins, lead singer of a band called The Darkness. 
which if you don't know, might, might be in contention for one of the best glam rock bands of all time. They are pretty epic. And he, he's a terrific front man. Yeah. And his breakdowns of songs are really good. Like I just, it's the same thing we've talked about before. I just like watching an expert break something down for me that I, I might think is cool, but I don't really know why, because I don't have the expertise. Right. It's really cool to watch him break stuff down. And like you said, he's funny. So he'll, he'll poke at stuff when he feels like it and, you know, roll his eyes at stuff. And then he'll, but you see, he really appreciates things and kind of walks you in to appreciating music on a deeper level. It's really, really cool. It's I funny. Like it. It, I've gotten Sylvia into it to the point where every once in a while she'll say something and then she'll do the again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have you seen <laughs> his Manscaped ad? No. Oh my gosh. Oh, I have to go watch it. I think go watch one of his latest because in the middle he breaks into a Manscaped ad. Oh no. Which is just him, him in black and white, filmed in black and white, in his bathroom in his underpants talking about Manscaped. No, <laughs> no, stop it. It's the funniest it. thing. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so funny, man. It's oh really good. Oh my gosh. I have, okay, after we're done, I'll, I'll go watch it. So, so uh, Justin, if you're listening, <laughs> we love your channel. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I think he would have to listen to this show, wouldn't he? He's a big follower, yeah. No, I think he is. Fan. Yeah, I think he is. No fan. secret there. Yeah, it's, it's, he's really, really good. It's just just knowledge slash like great on camera, like really funny, and uh, and obviously like that that frontman quality. I think makes him makes him good on camera, doesn't it? He's just, yeah. He's got the bants, as we say in the UK. What what is it? He's got the what? He's got the bants. What is that? Uh, it's short for banter. Ah, he's got good, he's okay. Got good banter. He's got the bants. Oh, I love he's that. Got the bants. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And he's quite Thinking prolific. I mean, he's posting all the time, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot to do with the fact that he, he doesn't have to put a lot of... He knows all this stuff already. Mm-hmm. I think he can just... He's got the same setup every time. He just turns the camera on and talks. I think he can just find something interesting and talk for 10 minutes and post it, which means you can just churn stuff out, which is great. Right. And respect yeah. for playing his theme song live every episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> He's super cool, man. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it made me think about like because because the lot the video I'm working on this week is um is like uh it's it's like when I well, years ago I I found this blog I think we might have mentioned it on here but we've definitely talked about it offline uh, called Guess the Lighting mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a photographer named Ted Sabarizi I don't even think you can find it anymore every time I try to click on links it's just page not found now so it's it's disappeared um but what he used to do is take like the most iconic portraits through the through the ages from photographers and he used to break down, draw his own lighting diagram, how he thought that image was lit. And I remember thinking that that was, or that how, how influential that was for me in teaching me how to see light or know what I was looking at. Mm-hmm. Is what, why would you know how to do that? You know, I think a lot of people can look at a photograph and say, oh, I like the light in this. But when you become a photographer, I think you have to start to think about why it looks that way. What modifiers are used? What lights are used? What gels are used? What height are lights placed at? What distance from subject are they placed at? All those kind of things and how it does different things. Because then you start to notice good light in your day-to-day life and you know how to recreate good light in your studio. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like it's like I needed an expert when I was starting out to walk me into this stuff, to show mm-hmm, me why mm-hmm. it is what it is or why it's good. Like why... Why is a D minor chord after a G cool? I don't know. Why Why does an octa box um, 
a, a one meter octobox from two meters give a particular sort of light. Like having an expert walk you into something is really cool. It it, it sort of it's because I'm a, I, I want to learn. I always want to learn new things, and you have to go to the experts to teach you. But I think the best teachers are just you know they don't take it overly seriously. It's different from going to university where you've got like a a, a very complicated textbook laid in front of you, which feels very technical. It's just someone who loves what they do, showing you how they do what they do in, in really simple kind of understandable terms. I'd really respect that skill. Yeah. Same, same. So what has it inspired? Because you, you've, I've gotten a little teaser of this and I thought it was super cool. Oh, the video. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's an idea I've had for a while where fr- from the guest, the lighting thing, honestly, like from years ago, I thought, wouldn't it be cool, rather than just drawing out the lighting diagram of famous portraits, actually try and replicate the look of famous portraits in my little garage studio. So I've just, the first one will go live on Sunday this week. Um, And, you know, if people like it and they respond to it, I I might make it into a series because I love the idea. I think it's cool. And, And I know how much breaking things down helped me at the beginning and how much it could help other people watching me do it. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've taken uh, uh, Yusuf Karsh's famous portrait of Ernest Hemingway taken in, I think, 1957-ish at his home in Cuba. And I'm trying to replicate that portrait in my studio. So basically the video, it's it's quite a monster to put together, I've realized. Like these videos can't be short because there's pieces that need to go in. So I start out by doing the breakdown, looking at the image and drawing a lighting diagram, trying to work out what he's doing. Then I go downstairs and with a mannequin head, I try and create a setup in the studio that's giving me the same sort of look. Then I bring in a subject and shoot a subject. And then I do the edit to try and get it to look the same as that, uh, as that original image. Mm-hmm. So in this case, because it's black and white, it's got to be things like dodging and burning and toning. And, uh, and, and it, was, it was orthochromic film. So that's a particular sort of black and white look. That you can't just hit black and white and it's there. So breaking all that down and then coming out with the final image at the end. I think I sent you the, the image I came up with side the by side. By side, side yes. yeah. yeah. To have a look. Yeah, so, I mean, you can watch the video to see how close I get, but, like, I think it's such an interesting process because I don't shoot like that. I don't shoot like Kosh, you know? I mean, one, because I can't, but two, because I don't want to because his style of lighting, probably out of necessity in the 1950s, was very harsh lights, hard lights. Mm -hmm. He used to use, from my bit of research, he used to use um, basically stage lights, Right. So they were constants. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tungsten bulbs shot through a Fresnel lens. So it was very, very hard point lighting, which I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't shoot with the biggest modifiers, but I do like a softer light. So, and I learned a lot trying to shoot in a style that wasn't mine about hard light and about what it does and why I shouldn't be as afraid of it because it, it definitely has its place. So it was, it was all just a really interesting process. So that'll go live on on uh, on sunday we'll see what people think i love it yeah, yeah. I, I if you if you like that kind of lighting and if you'd like to take another stab at something arguably similar check out george harrell do you know his work oh no i'm gonna look that up after this. one of the first cool. real big sort of early hollywood glamour photographers and really kind of oh, helped cool. to define hollywood glamour back in the oh, gosh, cool, 30s yeah. and 40s yeah 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 i mean I, I, i've got a little list going now um so there's a 
there's a famous portrait of um, Audrey Hepburn by Jack mm. Cardiff, which uh, is is this really, I mean, it's it's very kind of old Hollywood style as well. It's black and white, but there's definitely like some kind of snoot on the face that falls off between the eye and the, and the hairline. It just goes dark, you know, mm. and then you've got a, a crazy bright hair light because they loved a bright hair light in those days, filming all stills. And then like kind of a, sw- a swoosh of light on the background. It's a really cool shot if you go look it up. Um, so I'm thinking of doing something on that one. And then I thought maybe um, someone more modern copying sort of uh, platons, like very crunchy black and white, wide angle stuff with the kind of one overhead light. I've got like a list of photographers that I could turn this into a series with and just try out a bunch of different styles. Why not commit to, I don't know, six of them and say, this is a limited series, see what the response is and then go from there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, it is a lot of work, these videos, but I, I, I learn so much by doing them. And I know mm-hmm. if, if people are anything like me, um, and you're a portrait photographer or just a photographer wanting to understand light better and learning, wanting to learn how to see light and what it's doing better. It's, they're so valuable. They're really, right. really good. So hopefully, hopefully it takes off and, uh, I can, um, I can keep these going. It'd be pretty cool. If, if you do end up doing, uh, a Platon inspired one, will, will you ask your subject to show you the love? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I may not. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar, go look up the story behind Platon's shoot with Bill Clinton, uh, yeah. which it's a terrific portrait. Yeah, and uh, and that is apparently what he asked of the former president. And and go go watch uh, um, Abstract on on Netflix. Oh there's yeah, a, yeah. There's a an episode just on Platon's photography, which is fascinating to see his behind the scenes and how he works with people is really, really interesting. He, he really gets the best out of people. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, give that, uh, give that a watch. Really cool. I was over, uh, visiting my friend, Jimmy, who's a, a woodworker and, uh, he was, uh, we, we got to talking about art and paintings and, and he said, do you know this, this YouTube channel, this guy Baumgartner? And I said, no, I've mm. never heard of it. And he said, go look. And he sent me the, the link. It's Baumgartner Restoration. And this guy restores paintings and he's, and he's from what I can tell, very talented. Uh, and I think he's in New York, but he films the process of going through it. So in, like in one, uh, one of the videos, somebody yeah. had put polyurethane over the surface of this painting and uh, he had yeah. to first go at it with a scalpel and remove all of the polyurethane to reveal the underlying painting. And he, you know, he talks his way through it, but there is that close up and then you know, scritch, 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 uh, which some people really dig. Um, but I, I love how, you know, it kind of parallels what we were talking about with lighting where he will talk through what's going on. And, and, you know, he's saying that, you know, the polyurethane in this particular, uh, case, it's a, it's a physical bond, not a chemical bond. And, and it was, it was lucky that, that this was actually a dirty painting when they, they didn't clean the painting prior to applying the polyurethane, which made it easier for him to pry it all up, but it still took quite a long time. And then he goes back in and then begins the restoration process of, of the painting. And I, I watched a few of the videos and it's just fascinating. Again, it's that, it's that watching someone who is an expert mm-hmm. in, in, in their field, watching them do their work and listening to the decisions, listening to them talk about the decisions that they're making along the way, the why and, and what effect that will have moving forward. And I just love that kind of material. 
I, it's my guilty pleasure on YouTube is restoration videos, but it's, it's then like, you will absolutely love this. Really, I, I just watching someone work. I think I might have sent you the one uh, with this. I, I think it was Japan where they were taking old sculptures and and mm. fixing sculptures that mm-hmm. cracked and pieces missing with resin, and it looks exactly like it did on yeah. that day. Even yeah. with pieces missing, they managed to build them back up. And then there's a guy who does. Um, he fishes bikes out of the canals in Amsterdam that people have just chucked in there because they're old and they don't want them anymore. And they and just throw them, them into the canals? <laughs> it's, it, it's, uh, it's how you roll, man, in Amsterdam. It's what you do. Yeah. What's going on with the Dutch? I know, I know man. I have no idea. It's just <laughs> savages, absolute savages. <laughs> but, um, but he fishes them out and he takes them back to his workshop and he, he films. And what I love about a lot of these videos, it sounds like this might be the same, is like there's no talking in it. There's no music. It's just the sounds of the tools mm, mm-hmm. and the workshop space and everything. So you, th- there's no commentary over it. And you, you just watch this guy take this bike apart, strip all the paint off the frame, repaint it, get new parts for it, and basically sells these bikes brand new at, like, nice prices. Wow. And, and, but the time he takes to do it is brilliant. There's another guy who takes, like, watches. He'll take, like, beautiful old Rolexes or something that have been, like, smashed or like at the bottom of a bottom of water for like 20 years and he'll he'll just bring them back to new it's unbelievable absolutely unbelievable i i could watch those things for hours yeah same just craftsmen who are experts at what they do and like that kind of painstaking detail and patience like I, i i love watching that stuff it's really cool there used to be a show and i can't remember it may have been on pbs i can't remember what channel it was on anyway it was a it was a show all about the machines that make things. So they would mm. go into, you know, a bottling plant and, and talk about the machines that were used to create the bottles and print the labels and apply it. And I found that absolutely fascinating because you're mm-hmm. seeing sort of peeling back the curtain and seeing how things are made in addition to going one step removed in talking about the machines that make the thing that you want to see how the thing is made. You know what I mean? So it's, it's this very sort of uh, uh, you know, two-step removed process. And I, I, man, I, I watched a ton of those things. Mm. Cause you've got a fascination with how things are designed and made anyway. Yes. So that must be like really preaching to the choir on that one with, with those shows yeah. for you. I always have. I mean, and I think that it's, it's me kind of trying to, on some level, it's trying to understand that ability that my dad had to be able to see things, you know, basically in his head in an exploded view. He was very good at seeing mechanical objects, how they went together, Mm. you know, and he could take things apart and put things back together and, you know, rebuild engines. And he was very methodical about it, but Mm. it was fascinating to watch. And it's, I never got that gene, you know, like my, my grandmother was an amazing baker and my mom, despite, you know, watching her for years, never it, that, that never rubbed off, you know, and it was the same with my dad, despite watching him and, and being in the garage with him and, and sort of being in the presence of that skill or ability, it never rubbed off on me. So I'm always kind of a voyeur of those types of, of skills or abilities because they, they, they have fascinated me since I was a kid. Mm. Mm. Do you think maybe you have that skill when it comes to maybe artists instead of technical things? You know, I don't know. Because I've, I've watched you, I've watched you kind of like deconstruct, you know, other people's paintings or photography or, or music even 
even though you're not a musician, you seem to kind of like have an intuition about how things are put together in a creative way. Maybe. You know, I was thinking about this actually and, and talked a little bit about it with Adrian. I, I don't, let's see, how can I say this? I think I'm good at assembling things and seeing, seeing what I, I'm an art director, you know, and that's why I think mm. I, I really enjoyed, you know, my sort of past life in graphic design and, and, and art mm -hmm. direction, because there are people who have the, um, the sort of in the trenches skills that I don't have, but I'm, I think I'm very good at being able to sort of pull back and see how things fit together and be able to coordinate and direct where those things and how those things need to come together to form something interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's, I mean, if I look at my own graphic design work or my own painting, or now as I'm exploring music, I'm more technician than artist mm. in all of those things. I, I, I latch on to a few tricks that, I, that, that, that seem to work or that people seem to like. And then I, I'm very sort of uh, purposeful in when and where to use those things. Yeah. You know, like in, in, in some of the music stuff lately, I have no illusion that I'm going to be a pianist or that I'm going to be Keith Emerson or Rick Wakeman, some of this, you know, one of these prog rock keyboard players. I have no illusion about that. But mm -hmm. if I can, I, I think I could get more towards the, the Brian Eno side of things where you're setting up parameters, you're setting up rules, you're giving the machine instructions and letting it come up with something interesting based on those instructions that you've given, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. a lot of it's it is not me playing. Yeah. yeah. Generative. That's the word I was looking for. Generative music. Yeah. You, you say that's more like the, the way you put things together in your work is more like a technician. Mm -hmm. I think there are lots of artists who that's true for like, like Shepard Ferry, I would, I would say is, is in that world. No? I think so. Yeah. In fact, I had a chance. It was at, um, God, where was it? One of the gallery shows. I was talking to one of the people that he works with, uh, one of his printers. And he, he was talking about, we were talking about the illustrator files that he hands over because he, he does everything by hand, but then he'll go through for the electronic versions of things and sort of recreate everything that he's cut out by hand. He'll recreate it digitally in Illustrator and just layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of work and, mm -hmm. and how, how incredibly technical that side of his brain is. But then there's also that very sort of visceral, you know, hands-on, let things happen as they may side. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm such a big fan of both him and his work, um, because he's, he's able to walk that line between artist and technician. And I think Crudson is the same way. There, there is that, that macro level art director who can create this world but then there's, there's the technician who's on the ground placing things just so. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think a lot of directors that I really admire are the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I do, it's an interesting question, though, isn't it? Like, so, because so, you used the word generative earlier. So you say, like, what you're doing in music, for example, is generative. You're, you're creating the parameters. It's like coding. And then you can, you have input but the device is, is interpreting that input and adding a lot to it because of the coding. So yes. it's like a, it's, it's like a, 
I suppose it's a collaboration with technology at that point. Yeah. So, so I, I came across someone on Instagram. I don't, I don't know if you can look this up live, but I just found his work fascinating. So, uh, are you, are you on Instagram? Yep. Can we Hit do me. this live? Hit me. Yeah. So it. it's, it's, uh, Raul, uh, R A U L underscore C A N T U. It'll probably come up in search now. Raul Cantu visual artist. Yep. Got it. Raul Cantu visual artist. Oh yeah. Look at that. Look oh, at wow. this stuff. So this, I mean, it, it, obviously you can't see it if you're not with it, but th- this guy is producing generative art. I don't, I don't know how he's doing it. Um, but it's obviously one of these, it's, it, it's software included where he's, he's probably, I mean, I've, I've seen it this week. There's something that's like a plugin for discord where you can basically go and you type in a bunch of words. So I, I, I did one where I typed in, uh, Turner's sunset oils detailed, and it just spits out a bunch of paintings that it thinks would look like that. Oh, you know, wow. From, so from this is all AI driven in some way. So somehow he is. I don't know how he's doing it yet. I mean, if you look at his hashtags, it's generative art, digital arts, uh, neural networks, AI art, but fascinating looking stuff. I mean, I think it's beautiful Mm -hmm. to look at, but he's not claiming like he created this from scratch because he didn't. It's, it's, um, it's, it's some form of hybrid. He, he's, he's, it's his vision, but he's using software to get there somehow. And there are recurring elements. I wonder if that's intentional or are those, I mean, it has to be intentional, but yeah, is, is he, does he have control over what visual elements are being used or is it driven by specific keywords that he's found will yield like these little houses that he's, yeah. that he's using or these yeah. particular figures yeah. are recurring again and again. He's got way more control over this than any other generative art I've seen. So he's doing something. That, that you can't just go to a program, type in a bunch of words, and this comes out. He's, he's obviously doing extra editing or controlling it after the fact to get to his vision. But uh, whatever, the, whatever the story is, like however he's doing it, like they're, they're really evocative images either way. Yeah. And it, it made me think, like going forward, because we're kind of at the place now where, where I can uh, imagine something that I can't photograph. Mm-hmm. And I, but I can, I can photograph elements of it. And rather than trying to create a clean composite in Photoshop, which I could do to create something that's a lot more stylized, but allow computer AI to do some of the heavy lifting for me. I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how I feel about that. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I love that I can do that. But then when I've made that work and everyone thinks it's so incredible how much credit can I take for it? Do you know what I mean? If, if, if it's not a case of only my skills, because I don't, I don't look down on digital skills, the work I would have to do in Photoshop to create a composite is a, a high skill level. It has to be. Yeah. So I have to know a lot to be able to do that. So I'm not insecure about that. I use a piece of software, but I need all the skills and know how to make it work. But at the point I'm using AI, I don't need as many skills. I can press a button and start randomizing and pick something I like the look of. I don't have control. I'm, I'm, I'm properly collaborating with a piece of software and I'm doing some of the creating and it's doing some of the creating. And isn't that okay? Isn't that an okay evolution? I think it's, I think it has to be fine. I think that's the way it's going to go. I just think I'd always have this thing in the back of my mind. If I, if I produced a piece of work that was just amazing, everyone loved it. And I printed it big and put it in galleries and people came around 
standing next to it, people go, oh my gosh, Sean, you're just so amazing. I'd, I'd be going, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right. And this software is great too. You know, I have to, I have to only take half the credit because I, but how, how is that? Let me, let me, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, Let, yeah. Let me, let me throw a stick in the spokes. How is that any different than Jeff Koons having a team of people executing his vision? Or Damien Hurst having a team of, of artists and technicians doing the work that he puts his name on. I think it's similar. I think yeah. the difference is he has exact control and, and, and they are replicating work he's already produced rather than him letting them add their creative ideas to his work. And then it's a, it's a collaboration where it's half and half. Mm. I don't think he allows that. I'm, I'm guessing that he probably doesn't allow that. It's his work only, and they become worker drones. Yeah. Whereas I, I, if, it, if you're ahead. working with a piece of software that is coming up with stuff, it's a proper collaboration. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm in a position right now where I'm, I fully embrace that. I, I, I really enjoy it. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying at all it's wrong or bad or anything else. I, I think I would just have mixed feelings about how much credit I could take for the work yeah. after the fact. Yeah. That's what makes me feel weird. Like, I, I think it's great. Like, I look at this guy. I've been flicking through this this guy's images. What is it? Uh, Raul Cantu. I've been flicking through his images for a few days now. I found him on the weekend. And I absolutely love it. I don't do that with many photographers. But this keeps drawing me back. Like, wow, there's so much mood and interest in these shots. I want to live in these worlds. They're amazing. They're absolutely beautiful. So there's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's great. I'm, I'm super impressed by it. But I, I, it's got to be a weird relationship you have with the work. Yeah. When you're relying on software, not just to, not just to get there like a tool, but to actually come up with ideas for you. Right. Because that's what you're doing. You're asking it to come up with ideas. Go, do you know a guy named Joshua Davis? No. Check out, look on Instagram. We can do this live too. Joshua Davis, uh, PreyStation is his handle. P-R-A-Y-S-T-A-T-I-O-N. PreyStation. Okay, let me type this in. Joshua is a phenomenal artist and coder. Um, he, was, uh, he was really big into web design. He was a, a big user of Flash back in the day. And he creates generative art. And he does this amazing work. I met him in 2001 at uh, an event called Flash Forward. There used to be these, these um, uh, gatherings. Uh, I think they were every two years. Anyway, he was there. He, um, he used to work for a company called Kiokin. And it's all a, at, at the time, he was all about sort of trying to break math and, and trying to, mm. to push the boundaries of his own knowledge and his own abilities in, in math to create art. Mm -hmm. And is still doing that. I think he's using uh, one of the apps is called Processing, which I'm only slightly familiar with. But he does these incredible sort of generative pattern-based things. And mm -hmm. there are stills, they're in motion. He's worked with some massive clients, uh, Pepsi, BMW. I mean, really big clients to, to create um, campaigns and, and bodies of work. And I just, I, I love that kind of, approach of, mm. as you said, kind of collaborating with AI, collaborating with the machine. And as I, as I kind of dive deeper into the, the music side of things that I'm exploring, that has to be a partnership for me because I know I don't have, nor will I ever have 
uh, not, not maybe not ever, but without some serious commitment, will I have the ability to create the kinds of things that I can collaborate with the hardware and software to create? I still have to, I still have an aesthetic or, or, or a, um, I guess, a, a, some sonic input of what things look like or sound mm. like rather, but by setting up the rules and then knowing which tools to use, I think that's a skill too. I think knowing which yeah. piece of software to use is, has become a skill in and of itself. And it doesn't necessarily mean that just because I'm not playing this, this, you know, fabulous arpeggio that, that there's no value there because I still have to no, set no. up some of the rules to make that happen. That little piece that I sent you over the weekend, this very sort of, you know, Blade Runner-y kind of drone. Yeah, I told you. It's, it's very Vangelic. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Um, I couldn't play that at the moment if my life depended on it. But I can, I can set up some of the rules and choose which modules in VCV Rack to use to create it. And I think there's a, like you said, there's, you keep, I keep coming back to that word that you said, there's a collaboration between the hardware and the software, between the maker and the yeah. tools that are actually doing the making. I think that's an interesting area that we have kind of been moving maybe faster and faster towards over the past couple decades. Yeah. And I love that. Like, I, I think the, the only, it's the difference between the fact that I want to be able to create in a lot of different disciplines, but I just don't have the time to learn them all. Right. So I'm probably going to be an expert in, in one, maybe two, if I can manage it and everything else, I'm going to rely on plugins and software and everything out there to still help me create. Cause I want to create stuff in those spaces too, but I need software to help me. Right. Um, but then the work that I produce is still good. I still like it. I, I still get pleasure out of it, but it's, it's like, it's like if you if you buy Visco presets for your photographs and you're just applying a preset onto your photographs, you're never going to run a color grading workshop because you don't know how you did that. Right. Like you're never going to, well, never say never, but you're probably not going to win a Grammy because of the stuff that you're producing generatively. No. Because, because they know you don't have the control to do that. So it's like the difference between I can produce work that I really like the look of like if I find what generative program this guy's using and it's it's something I can learn, I want to learn it because I love the look of it. But I'm I'm almost like don't you shouldn't give me credit, too much credit as an artist or as a photographer if I'm using that AI to produce that. I shouldn't be winning awards necessarily. I don't know maybe, how I feel about that. But I maybe love the not work. for it. Maybe not for it on its own. But if if that work becomes part of another project that I, I don't know where to draw the line myself. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind yeah. of in a similar boat. You know, it's if, if I, if I come up with some sort of audio documentary series that I'm producing and I use my own generative based music as partial soundtrack or audio cues or anything like that, does, does it, does it elevate it now because it's part of something else or is it just another tool in the toolbox? And I think it can be both. Yeah, I think it can. I think it should. Mm -hmm. It is. A, it is a tool. It's a hand in hand tool with with AI. Um, but the the work stands on its own. It's good work. It just you need help to get there, and I need help with lots of things to get there. But it it still helps me put the work out into the world that I want to make, and I'm happy to use any tool that helps me get there. 
you know, I think that's, I think that's how it should be. Right. I, I just keep coming back to, I'm not sure how much credit I can take for particular things. It's like, if you, if you, if I print a few portraits that I've taken and put them in a gallery and everyone goes, this is amazing work. I'll take credit for that. Cause I thought of the lighting. I set the lighting up. I found the subject. I worked with the subject on the day. I, I, I toned and edited that image. I chose the printing thing. It's all, it, it has my fingers on it the whole way through. I didn't hand any step there over to AI to improve it or change it. Right. Um, even though I use tools like, you know, nice cameras and Sony's and like, and you know, software like capture one and Photoshop, I used software, but I didn't let AI change it at any stage. It was all hundred percent my control start to finish. I'll stand by that portrait and go, yes, thank you for the compliment. I did that. Mm-hmm. But if, but if I, if I take a photograph and throw it through AI and it comes out 10 times better because AI did something cool and I stand next to it and they go, this is amazing work. How did you, this is brilliant. Well done. Be like, yeah, yeah, the photograph's mine, but uh, you know, right. I also have to give credit yeah. to the software. How did you do it? Actually, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how, yeah, how I don't know it how did I, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the difference is how much credit I could take. That's what I struggle with. Like when I first saw that guy's, uh, Raul's uh, Instagram account, I'm like, this is just amazing. I want to talk to him. How did he do this? This is, this is brilliant looking stuff. I love it. So otherworldly. And then I realized, oh, he's not going to be able to answer me because he probably not with the detail that you probably want. No. Well, he, he probably won't want to tell me what AI he used because then everyone knows. But if he does tell me, he still doesn't know how it did it. Right. He, he probably just threw in some keywords. That's how much you need to know. And it came out and he chose the best because usually these AI things will, will generate, you know, multiple versions of, of it. And you just pick the ones that you want, which is probably why you've got three selects for each style because he's picked the best three of 20 at spat back at him. And he might've then gone to work and done some extra editing and stuff in, in a program like Photoshop, maybe, but that starting point is not something he did from the, from the beginning. Like it, it was, it was pushed out by other, by another, uh, by another brain. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Which is how much, how much credit do you take for that? It's, it's hard. Can I tell you, I, I would love to, I would love to record a conversation with an AI. I would love to have a conversation oh to, to, to ask if, if, if one can speak or I don't know, but I they've would got, love they've to. They've got some. Yeah. I've, I've seen a, I've seen a, um, a robot being interviewed. She has a very like creepy latex face that doesn't move in the right way. So it's very awkward to watch. Yeah, I don't want that. Ask it questions, anything you want. But uh, I wonder if there's an online thing. There might be an online AI you can interview. It's like a program that runs. Or could, could you ask, I mean, is there a way that you could ask this AI that, that, uh, Raul uses why it's making the choices that it's making? Could it answer oh, you? Oh, jeez, I wonder. I would have to That's fascinating. Complex to me. AI. I, but we're going there. Either way, we're going there. Yeah. It's because the, obviously there are answers to those questions in the program because it's mm-hmm. making decisions the whole time. It's just whether or not it's clever enough to articulate it yet. Right. I don't know if we've right. got to that stage. Interesting though. Yeah. I mean, these are questions we have to answer now because all these things are becoming available to us like never before. So. One uh, of, oh, what was it? One of Duran Duran's videos from their new record was generated 100% by AI. Wow. Music video. Yeah. I reckon these are questions we've got to start asking Mm -hmm. because it's, uh, it's the way the world's going. And I think for better, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. This isn't a moral issue. It's just, 
where do we position it as artists if we're going to use it? And, and does it, oh, I sound so old saying this, but does, does it, does it make us lazy? You know, instead of going out and finding, so say like a Gregory Crudson photograph, mm-hmm. you know, instead of going out and finding that location and lighting it and paying actors to go and, you know, sit in those places and stand there for a day and take those photographs and properly composite those shots together so that it looks as beautiful as it does. If I throw, if I throw something into an AI, cause I could produce a Crudson photograph in, in, in 10 seconds, pick the best and post it. I mean, it's not, it's nothing, it's nothing like what he's done, no. even though it might look exactly the same. And we might get to AI one day that could fool you into thinking it was the level of skill just isn't there. So you couldn't get credit for it. You shouldn't get credit for it. It's tough. I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's great to use the tools available, but I think at some point, just like in the same way, I've, I made a video on is Photoshop evil a few years mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. where, because I used to have people getting hold of me going like, well, if you use Photoshop, then it's not photography anymore. It's digital art. And I'm like, all right, if that makes you feel more secure, that's fine. But I went, basically <laughs> went back through the history of photography. And Spoken like a true light architect. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I went through the history of photography and showed that all these editing techniques have been there since the dawn of photography, since back in film, we were retouching and dodging and burning and cropping and all those things that we do in Photoshop. So, I, but I think that the ethical line for me was always, I would be honest if I had edited something that I couldn't catch in camera. If someone asks me, Hey, is this straight out of camera? Or did you, did you edit particular elements in here? I might go, Oh, hey, it's my process. I don't want to talk about it. That's that's fine to do if you want to do that. You don't have to tell people how you did something, I don't think. But you can never say, yeah, I just took this photograph and this is how it came out when you actually did a lot of editing in Photoshop because right, that right. for me is an integrity issue. So I reckon it will be the same with AI. If you produce something that looks incredible and everyone's giving you credit for it, I think you have to acknowledge how much of that is AI and how much is you. Right. At, at, at some point. I think that's the fair way to do it. I, I just don't know how you do that. I guess that's down to everyone to decide for themselves. But for me, I would definitely want to be upfront about what that collaboration split looks like. Mm-hmm. And I wonder moving forward, it seems like the answer to this is yes, but, but are, is there still room for the purists in any discipline? Hmm. Yeah. I wonder. Well, I think there is, though, isn't there? Because, because even now we have purists in photography. You know, we, we, we have the Sally Mans and we have the Jack Lowe's who produce photography as it was done 150 years ago. Mm-hmm. We, we still have the purists. And I think almost the more technology moves on, the more romantic the old ways become. And I think people do start to gravitate back towards it to bring it forward with us. And hopefully we, we take everything with us as we move, I hope. But yeah, it's, it becomes a smaller group because obviously that doesn't gain the kind of attention that you might want online as readily. And I think that's the motivation for a lot of people, unfortunately. But yeah, I think so. I mean, it's why film is getting resurgence. It's why vinyl shops are still around and people want vinyl. You know, it's, we, we bring those medium with us.
Be sure to check the show notes for links to some of the things we talk about in this episode. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get everything I release in one feed. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen, or by sharing the episode on social media. And you can help support everything I do directly by tapping the donate button at jeffreysedoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. Connect with Sean on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Tuck. That's S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K. On his website at seantucker.photography or by searching for Sean Tucker on YouTube. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sidoris. And you can connect with both of us by sending an email or a voice message to deepnatter at gmail.com. As always, thank you very much for listening. We appreciate your time. We appreciate you being here. And we hope you'll come back for the next one.